We live in the age of self-help bestsellers and how-to guides and do-it-yourself manuals, all promising us a better life now. But Christians know that truly lasting happiness can only be found with God. Join us today as we learn how to cooperate with God's plan for our happiness with today's special guest, Father Jonathan Morris, a news analyst and author of God Wants You Happy. I'm Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Franciscan University Presents. I'm Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. Uh, today we're going to be talking about God Wants You to Be Happy. Um, and we're joined here in our studios with uh, Dr. Regis Martin, Professor of Systematic Theology at Franciscan University. Uh, Dr. Scott Hahn, the Father Michael Scanlon Chair in Biblical Theology and the New Evangelization here at Franciscan University. And today's special guest, Father Jonathan Morris. Father serves as a priest um, at the historic Basilica, the Old St. Patrick's in, in New York City. He's a Fox News analyst where he covers a wide uh, topics uh, for Fox News. He's also the director of the Catholic Channel on Sirius and XM uh, satellite radio, and he really works uh, in communications with Cardinal Dolan. He's also the author of the book, The Promise, uh, God's Purpose and Plan for Us When Life Hurts, and the recently released God Wants You Happy, From Self-Help to God's Help. Father Jonathan, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you. This is a little bit like coming home uh, <laughs> yeah, because I did yeah. go to Franciscan University and yeah. it also feels a little bit like divine justice because <laughs> for all those times I never studied, yeah. Yeah. here I find myself 15 years later sitting in front of two right. professors yeah. and I feel quite a little... I don't remember seeing you in any of my classes. <laughs> that was a problem, I think. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah, but it's great to be here, Mike. And it, we studied together. We did. As a disclaimer, we're friends and classmates uh, uh, from the past. So it is great to have you back here on Thanks, campus. Um, so your book, uh, let, let's open it up with what is happiness? Well, first of all, the reason why I wrote it was because in, in dealing more with secular press and at, on the Fox News Channel, I, thank God, have a lot of contact with people who are writing in and who are uh, reaching out saying, you know, I have sparks of faith, mm -hmm. but I've been away from the faith for a very long time. And I want to know how is it that God could allow such difficult things to happen in my life mm -hmm. and still be a, a good and all-loving and all-powerful God? And does He really want me happy? And if, if so, what's taking Him so long uh, to help <laughs> yeah. me find that happiness? And so there's been some criticism from some theologians. I'm probably going to get it coming up right now. I saying, doubt it. Does God really want me happy or does he want me to be spiritually fulfilled and joyful? And I would say both. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. So God does want you to be happy. Is Absolutely. Of course, properly understood, which we'll probably get into. Yeah. And so w when we live in a, a real culture, as I said, kind of the opening of the show, this, the self-help culture, you know, where it's all about me. They've got to fix it. You know, you take this pill, you follow this program to have happiness here and now. W what's, what's really wrong with that kind of self-help uh, culture and, and genre? Well, first of all, I would say that there's so much that is right with the self-help genre. And if, if we have any doubt whether there's good things there. We, can, we know for sure that 
where there's a demand, right? When we go to a bookstore and we see these self-help shelves filled with books and people buying them, people are getting something. Right. So before we, and I think yeah. we Catholics sometimes get um, very critical because we find that there are some real problems there, we should also say what's right there. And what's right, I believe, is that God has given us natural mechanisms of self-help or self-improvement that when we put them into practice, we start on our way to happiness. For example, if I decide that I'm going to get up whenever I want in the morning, eventually I'm not going to be very happy because I'm probably going to lose my job. Um, I'm probably going to make a lot of people upset when I don't make appointments. But when I get on the road to self-help using the natural mechanisms, in this case, willpower, right, and, use, and using those things that God, give it, God has given to us, we start on the road towards getting our life in order, mm. but then that's not enough. And the problem with the self-help genre is, unfortunately, most of it is divorced from a connection with God, who is our ultimate source of happiness. I, I think it's also the case that we're shooting too low, and so when we start off on the road to self-help, we end up discovering that people on that road are content with things that really don't make them happy. Mm -hmm. I was just talking recently with a friend of mine who uh, was talking about a man whose one goal was to get a Cadillac. He mm -hmm. succeeded in business, but that didn't matter. He had a family, but that didn't matter. But then he got the Cadillac, and that was all he wanted, and then two years later he took his own life. Mm. You know, it seems to me that emptiness, you know, that's why self-help, you know, you're on the road, you need GPS, you know, I think that is God's plan of salvation, you know, yeah. that you have got to shoot much, much higher than anything in this world. Well, well if he's no longer eyes. here, he doesn't need that Cadillac. Uh, uh, no. I could use one. <laughs> uh, could we revisit the question of whether or not God wants us to be happy. Yeah. Uh, at, at one level, it's a no-brainer. Of course he does, because the alternative is unthinkable, as if he were plotting from all eternity to maximize human misery. Of course he wants us to be happy. Why else did he plant this seed of desire? Everybody wants to be happy, even, even uh, unhappy people. Uh, but what is happiness? I mean, that sort of begs the question. Mm. What does it mean to be happy? Yeah. Uh, Aristotle uh, describes it in terms of uh, reason, happiness governed by reason, and he gives it a name, eudaimonia. Uh, but I don't think most people in pursuit of happiness are terribly reasonable. Uh, and, and you're right that at the level of nature, self-help is something natural. It's rooted in the human disposition, the human constitution, to search out opportunities of bliss, contentment, fulfillment. But what does that mean? I mean, the guy who got the Cadillac, at least for two years, he was bloody happy. Uh, why couldn't he buy two Cadillacs and then maybe extend uh, his... Uh, Actually, uh, his... he wasn't. He was <laughs> shocked at how depressed he was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Almost immediately, well, the emptiness right. of that. The emptiness, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And right. so, so, I mean, I think it is good that you, you basically brought up the balance between the fact that in our souls, made by God, uh, we have a longing for happiness, mm. and we also have kind of a predisposition to think that we can help ourselves in this process some way. I mean, those are two things that we would agree with, I think, if you will, that within the self-help culture. But then there's this real emptiness if we're simply seeking a temporal happiness. And I think that's, that's right. your whole... Well, you know, I, I think when we can't dismiss um, the fact that some material things, um, including health, right. um, 
make us content at a certain level that's very real. And I think that's okay and that's good and God wants that for us. But it's not the end game. And unfortunately, when we're seeking, like Dr. Hahn was, was saying, when we're seeking uh, the end game as being that, that is pure satisfaction on, on, right. on, a, wor yeah. on a worldly or on a, or on a natural level, then we're going to ultimately be disappointed. Mm. And the good news is that when we do feel that disappointment, um, God has something more for us, and that is union with God. Yeah. That is when, when we uh, learn to embrace Him um, at a spiritual level, when our souls are united to God. And we all have that at different levels, of course, and ultimately in heaven will be that great embrace. Right, and that's, that's ultimate happiness. I think you're underscoring something too that's really important, Father Jonathan, in the sense that God is a father. You know, and when I, I look at how I raise my kids, you, know, you, you, you relate to them differently at different stages in their mm -hmm. life. You know, as, as an infant, you know, in the terrible twos, you know, and then as a child, an adolescent, and then a young adult, and now a couple of them, three of them are parents. And so God is always accommodating himself to us with a patience and a wisdom and a goodness. It's sort of like going through seasons in life where you know that there are certain things that come with spring and then summer, then fall, and then winter. I, I think the one thing that God has in mind that we often neglect, and that is the end game. Mm -hmm. The fact that no one, you know, none of us are gonna get out of here alive. And, and that is not just something incidental. That is the teleology. That is the goal of all of this, to make death something by which we really dispossess ourselves mm. so that we can possess God. But I mean, nothing in this world prepares us for that mystery, and so God has to kick in so much along the mm. way. You know, if, if you don't mind, Mike, yeah. I've always wanted to do this because at college they would ask me questions and then they would grade <laughs> me right or wrong. Uh -huh. um, you know, I, I bet a lot of people who are watching today are saying, you know, that's nice that these theologians, these priests, this administrator, you know, can talk about happiness from a, on, a on a theoretical level. But how about the fact that I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills this month? How about the fact that I'm a solid Catholic Christian, I do my best, and I'm sick as a dog and nobody cares about me right now? Nobody's watching out, out for me now. Um, my question for both of you would be, but come on, you know, why doesn't God intervene at least more often? Well, I mean, you could argue that uh, Jesus had a pretty bad hair day uh, when he was bound uh, uh, and flogged uh, and sentenced to die in the most protracted and ignominious way. So maybe, uh, maybe the Father has a lot to uh, answer for. Uh, but I, I agree with you that a, a pious bromide, well, just offer it up. Uh, this is pain that can be somehow redeemed. is not terribly helpful. But I, I, would, I would suggest that they try to see life as a series of stepping stones. You're en route uh, to somewhere else. And along the way, there will be, you know, bumps in the road. Uh, there, there will be puddles that you fall into. And, and sometimes you very nearly drown. But the journey is worth it because the outcome is heavenly, everlasting glory. That taste, that, uh, that savor for paradise, I think, has to be reintroduced somehow. Because as Scott pointed out with this chap and the Cadillac, uh, earthly uh, material goods do not satisfy. I mean, some people like pizza, and you could say, look, how many pieces will really satisfy you? Okay, you can have 18 pieces and maybe a couple of six-packs. So two days later, uh, he's, he's in a kind of stupor. Are you happy? 
Of course not. The fact that he's not happy is really a kind of testimony to an absentee good, what Thomas calls sadness. You know, the rich young man who goes away sad, he was healthy because he acknowledged something was missing from his life. And, and pain, I think, awakens that sense, that longing. Uh, and, and to that extent, it, it's really salutary. And how powerful is it to know that even if we don't have the perfect answer to say, why doesn't God yeah. intervene all the time? Yeah. That as you said, uh, Dr. Martin, that in the end, at least we know that we are not alone, yeah. right? And that God is right there by our side, that yeah. he knows our suffering and yeah. that he not only knows it, but he was willing to suffer every single thing that yeah. we've suffered yeah. um, and, to, and, and to a maximum degree. He has not left us alone. You know, that, that provides us at least the, the grist for the mill. I mean, to go about answering that question coming from a person who's cry of the heart, you know, I, I can't pay my bills, you know. The tendency, I think, when we go through those bumps in the road yeah. is to isolate ourselves. And that's exactly what we need to not do. Mm. You know, uh, we, we, need, we need to plug ourselves in. You know, that, that might be difficult to do because of the sense of shame or fear. But on the one hand, you know, if, if a person does have physical health, at least, you know, express thanks to God for that and then cry out to Him in prayer. One of my favorite facts in st studying Scripture is that the Psalms are the only book of the Bible the church prays 24-7, and 42% out of the 150 Psalms are Psalms of complaint, <coughs> Psalms of lament, mm -hmm. because you don't complain to someone unless you trust them, unless you believe that they're going to do something about it and they care. And so go to God. Don't isolate yourself. And, and then go to your friends, go to your family, go to the local parish, you know. And, and, I, and I think the combination of, of physical life and social life can foster at least a sense of gratitude for what I do have, you know. Mm. Uh, but I mean, I'm, I'm glad you asked that kind of question because yeah. 99 out of 100 viewers are probably close right. to places yeah. like that. That's, right. That's, right. It, That's important to know how do we, you know, have happiness in the midst of suffering and pain and loss. Right. Because we know, and, and I think we all agree, God wants us to be happy, but how do we experience that in it? There's a supernatural part of it, and there is obviously a very natural part to that. I mean, well, what do you answer when you're talking, you, you had a great story yes, of, right. of the butcher, and you had all these different things about calling them to something deeper in, into holiness. Well, you find, you mentioned the story of the, uh, the butcher, which yeah. is, a, is a gentleman in my neighborhood in lower Manhattan who has been there for 60 years, his dad was the butcher and grandfather was the butcher. And right now, basically, he's going out of business because the big, big chains have moved in, Whole Foods. And, but you find in him a serenity and a yeah. peace yeah. that his life is not all about uh, material success. Yeah. He's happy at a, at a very deep level while he's also suffering. Yeah. And I find these are the saints of, that are there on the streets, yeah. right? And there's also the great news that we are promised in the scripture that there will be a day when every one of our tears will be wiped away. Mm -hmm. So it's not just, hey, God you know, likes to make us happy, but this kind of strange happiness, which is like the serenity and peace even as we're suffering. No, yeah. there will be a day in which every one of our tears is wiped away. That's very, very good news. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we're, we're living in a broken culture. Um, and I think that that really is, is what we're about. We, we, have, we have our hearts are broken. There are many different things that are going on. In our next segment, I think we should look at, at what is the cure, uh, knowing that we, we have so many issues, so many distresses, so many losses in our lives. Uh, you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us.
happiness um, is not as society defines it. Happiness is what we would call joy. And joy is, I suppose it's synonymous with the word peace, where um, you could say the top half, the top half of what's going on your surface could be completely out of whack, but as long as the bottom 10% is, is at peace and at rest in the Lord, then you would have happiness. My name is Michael Villanueva. I'm majoring in philosophy and theology. Last semester, I had sacraments with Dr. Han. And uh, I'll tell you right now, it was the best class of my entire life. A every class, I'm just knocked out of my chair. It hits me like a ton of bricks. The beauty of the truth that he's speaking to us. Something so simple, God's but so beautiful and so profound and so powerful. Franciscan University is academically excellent and passionately Catholic. Thank you for joining us again on Franciscan University Presents. Today we're talking about God's plan for our happiness with author and priest and uh, Fox News analyst, Father Jonathan Morris. Um, Father, in the last segment we talked about um, really some of the, the hardships that people go through, uh, but also if, if we look at some of the faithful Catholics that we know, faithful Christians out there that are still so miserable that they seem to lack happiness, why is that? Why do that, why does that happen in our lives? Well, I think God has a plan for each and every one of us that is inscrutable. Mm -hmm. And sometimes our lack of happiness is because of our own sin, our own selfishness, our own hard-headedness. Other times, we can just say, I don't know exactly why God permits these things to happen, but He does, and I'm miserable because He permits it. You yeah. know, and, and, and blame him we can it. blame Him in a certain level, but we're blaming Him, and He says, I'm, 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 I'm okay with that. He's because big enough to take it. I'm, I'm, in for, I'm in on this for the long haul, and my goal for you is to come to ultimate happiness, which yeah. is being with Him forever in heaven. Yeah. It, it is a strange perversity, though, isn't it, uh, when you find pronouncedly devout, uh, holy people who yet somehow embrace pain and, 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 and luxuriate in a kind of wretchedness as if that were the proof of their piety. Mm. I'm, I'm miserable, therefore I must be close to God. As if God were this sadist, mm. you know, sending these thunderbolts of, uh, of pain and suffering on purpose. Right. What, what, what kind of a God is that? Yeah. You know, right. it's something that, you know, oh, it is hard to, I want to react yeah. viscerally right now because, <laughs> you know, St. Teresa Avila can say things like, you know, if that's the way you treat your friends, no wonder you have right. so few of them. Yes. Right. But I think, you know, people who complain to God, who begin to pray like Jesus did, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken yeah. me? Quoting one of those Psalms of complaint, Psalm 22, I think they've turned the corner because we have no problems complaining about God and resenting Him secretly. Of course, he, He's in on it. But when we turn to Him and express that, I think that's the opening. And when we can go so far as to say, God, if you were a sadist, yeah. what would look any different? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You know, look at the cross, look at my life, you know, and then suddenly we have to confess, and this is where the act of faith comes in. I know that, you know, if I were God, I wouldn't do it this way. You're God, and you're not dumber than me. You know? but, but we, I mean, as Catholics, we pass a Rubicon. We go from Jehovah to Jesus. Mm. I mean, Job says, I know that my Redeemer liveth. He's anticipating the Messiah, the coming of and Jesus. I shall see him in the flesh. That's right. Yeah. He's crying out for a Redeemer who can somehow deliver him uh, from this, uh, this pain, uh, this, this anguish of, of soul. And, and you were right early on when you said, 
Christ not only recognizes our pain, but he enters into it. He provides a companionship along the way. I think it's Bernard of Clairvaux who says, God can't suffer, mm. but he can suffer with. That's mm. what compassion means. He suffers alongside, inside the wretchedness that we feel. So. He's not alien to our pain. Uh, mm. uh, he has carried it and identifies with it and, and invites us to join him so that together we can redeem that pain and transfigure it unto glory. Yeah, yeah. And, and so looking at your book, you, you talk about the faith, hope, and love cure. Um, and we're, we're talking about a broken world with misery as part of our lot in some many, many dire cases sometimes. You know, what is the faith, hope, and love cure, and why is that so important? Well, you know, I think so, so many of the self-help books, um, what, what they're good at is giving us a language and a, a formula to move toward getting in a better situation than we're in now. And I think as Catholic theologians, as Christians, as believers, we have to get better at communicating in simple terms a way forward. And mm -hmm. so what I tried to do was in, in, in that formula, right, the faith, hope, love, cure, was present one way that I think is very much in line with the great teachers of the faith, the doctors of the church, mm -hmm. um, but in simple language. Um, maybe my, my old professors here, not that you're old, but they, these, these were professors <laughs> of mine back when I was at Francisco here, um, could correct me on this. But let me explain very simply how I put it. Um, faith, hope, and love, the theological virtues, I believe, are the, mo the, the most common, most ordinary ways or path forward that God brings us to the eternal embrace. And in an embrace of his will and his person also here on earth. What does faith, hope, and love do? Well. When we go from shallowness, right, to a depth of belief, right, we do that through the gift of faith, mm. right? And so we go from, from shallowness to being able to see a reality that is beyond what our, what our eyes can, can grasp, right? That's, that's a first step forward. That's faith, right? If faith, faith heals our reason, and makes us allowed, allow, makes, makes us able to grasp other truths, right? The supernatural truths. So that's faith. If faith heals our reason, what, it, what does love do, for example? It heals our will, right? And when, which we're selfish, right? And we begin to enter into that embrace of God's will for us by loving others. Right. And so our will is healed and we enter into that, into that living love, right? The theological virtues of love. The, the theological virtue of hope is less, I think, understood and less talked about. Um, but some of the great mystics of our faith talked about the, the theological virtue of hope healing what? If faith healed our reason, if love heals our will, the theological virtue of hope heals our memory mm. and allows us to believe that God will be faithful to his promises. And that's so we enter into that the living hope in which we say, you know, even though I've messed up in the past, even though I've seen that God has not always intervened, I can move forward in, in doing what I think God wants me to do in great hope because I believe deeply that God will be faithful to his promises. That's the faith, hope, love cure. And I try to make it very practical of how to do that in this book. You know, the, the poet Charles Peggy speaks of hope as the little girl who gets up each morning and there's mm. a spring in her step 
or as Bernanos puts it uh, in describing the Blessed Mother, she is younger than sin, a kind of childlike, lively expectancy that God has something good in store for me. Mm. I mean, despite this dark night, uh, I, I believe, I hope, I hunger for light on the other side. And, and Pegui says that uh, far from being the junior member of, of this little trinity, Hope is the little girl in the middle who walks down the boulevard with her two sisters on either side. And in fact, she's carrying both of them. Faith and love are sustained by hope. Mm, you know, powerful. when you said that, my heart leapt because it wasn't just hope, which is the neglected of the three virtues, but memory, mm. which it's beyond neglect. I mean, uh, the memory, I think, is the one thing, ironically, we really have forgotten. You go back <laughs> to Augustine. Yeah. And in his work on the Trinity, his work on confessions, you know, mm. uh, the image of the Holy Trinity in the soul was memory, intellect, and will. Yes. And this is picked up by Bonaventure. This is picked up by Ignatius Loyola. Even Thomas's mentor, Albert the Great's anthropology was memory, intellect, and will. So there's something pre-intellectual. What is memory? Well, we think it's just, you know, what did I eat yesterday? What did I wear the day before? No, memory is so much more fundamental to mm. that. Without yeah. memory, I couldn't finish the sentence. Without memory, I, I wouldn't know who I am or where I am or why we're talking about this sort of thing. Memory is the self-possessing, but it's even more, it's the self in relation because now I remember to go home and I've got the covenant commitment to my wife and kids and I've got this job here. But even more, memory has to expand and to see eternity. And that's why God is so intent on making sure that we do this in remembrance of Him because then suddenly memory is sort of forced to open itself to that which is divine and eternal and orient everything we do, intellect and will, towards eternity. Yes. Well, well, the church uh, in the exercise of her ministry uh, renders that memory so powerful, so efficacious, so fruitful that in fact it confects the Eucharist. We remember so well that we recall, represent, re recollect, uh, in this moment, events that transpired 21 centuries before. There's a wonderful Italian poet, uh, Cesare Pavese, who describes memory as a passion repeated, mm. as if you were to rehearse mm. over again these great events of salvation history. And they are rendered so real that Jesus is just as present now mm. as he was uh, in the midst of his apostles. Yeah. And Mike, um, during the break, Dr. Hahn and Dr. Martin said I could call them by their first names. So I'm just, I'm just <laughs> looking, for an, I'm looking for an opportunity so. to say Scott and, and yeah, Regis, yeah, yeah. but right. we're, we're going to get there. But what, you know, in the big picture that you both were talking about, it, of the, what the church has to say about memory and, and salvation history, um, there's definitely that element and it's so important and it's so it's it's fundamental even you think back to the, the Old Testament how um, how God was always calling the the the, Isra the Israeli people to remember what I have done for right. you right yeah. a constant remember the covenant but then when you go to, to right now people who are watching us right now how do they experience a lack of hope yeah. it's not just desperation yeah. it's also anxiety and fear yeah anxiety Right? That's the stuff that we feel every day. I feel anxious about what people are going to think of me. I feel fearful about my future. What if this happens? What if that happens? And the theological virtue of hope allows us to say, yes, those things are present. I don't know my future. 
but I do know my ultimate future. And I do know God is with me and God is beside me. And so the theological virtue of hope heals our memory. Doesn't make us forget what has happened, but heals it so that we're capable of living out what God wants us to to live out. And that is living hope. I go forward because I know that God is going to be faithful to his promises. Yeah. And that's and that is goes to the point of, you know, I know my redeemer lives, but if you have a memory that holds you back from understanding God as father. If you have memory, you know, memories of your past personally that are, that are inhibiting your ability to understand who God is and to live in the freedom as a son and daughter of God. Yeah, that and, to me is the, is 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 releasing you from uh, you know, from the pains of the past. And some of those pains are so so deep and they are so embedded in our psychology. What about abuse victims, yeah. right? What about, what about abandonment, emotional abandonment by a, a father or a mother, right. Right. right? I mean, real deep stuff. What about, what about being um, involved in church ministry and being abandoned, so to speak, by the infidelities or the, or the, or the deficiencies of members of our church? Yeah. What about when your pastor isn't nice to you? Right. What about when you're not nice to your pastor and you feel guilty about that? Those are real practical memories yeah. that are embedded in our psychology and that we need healing from. Right, right. Yeah, that, that's an awfully good point, especially nowadays when, when people have a sense of a past as having been completely blighted. So you can't sit down and say, look, I want to awaken the springs of hope. So let's remember together how lovely it was when you were a child. Right. Well, it wasn't lovely. That's right. I was abused. So. Uh, where do we go now? Everything is a washout. Into that blighted state, that no man's land, God enters in the person of his son made flesh. I'm I'm struck by the fact that when Pope Benedict began uh, his encyclical on hope, he trotted out the example of Bakita, that African slave who was sold into slavery as a child and horribly abused. It's unspeakable what mm. she had to suffer. And yet she came to faith to Jesus Christ, whom she was convinced was more present to her in her pain than anything else in the universe. Mm. I have a future, she said. Holiness. I know where I'm going. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I love this point that you made about this uh, passion, this persistent and patient passion, because I think when a storm ha- hits, you, you're tempted to give up. Mm-hmm. You know, but, but you need to get up mm-hmm. you know, and start over again. You, know, you go through seasons of life, but in every single season, there are different kinds of storms in spring, summer, fall, and winter, and you've got to rebuild. You know? And you've got to go back to the Eucharist. You can't receive and just say, from now on, I, I have to become a saint, or I'm going to give up on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You've got to go back to confession. You know, it's like that, that man who knocks at midnight and won't stop knocking until he gets the bread. You know, right. God, I want to remind you I'm persistent and I'm right. patient because I have hope that you are provident. You're going to provide what I need, so I'm not going to ever stop knocking or struggling. You know, the, the memory of God and the practical possession of self, you know, enables us to persist in the worst of circumstances. That's, that's more than self-help, as you put it. It's God help. Yeah. And, and really, when we look at it, there's so much that we need and you talk about being spirit-filled people in order to really attain happiness. Um, so maybe in the next segment, um, we could go to what is really the program moving from, from that self-help to God's help. Uh, you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. To me, joy is, I tell students that I teach, you're seeking the Lord's will in your life. 
and usually you come before the Lord in prayer and when the Holy Spirit's guiding you, showing you where you should be, you feel a joy being in a line with God's will. We think of our blessed mother saying, you know, fiat, behold the servant of the Lord, the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy will, to thy word. And to me, I tell him, that's where prayer is important. Be filled with God's grace, seek his will. And when you embrace that will, you're gonna be filled with a joy and a peace that again, like Jesus says, surpasses all understanding. Explore the treasures of your Catholic heritage on a Franciscan University pilgrimage. Led by inspiring spiritual directors, you'll walk in the footsteps of saints and martyrs in the Holy Land, Poland, France, and Italy. And you'll deepen your love for Jesus Christ through daily mass, confession, prayer, and the joy of Christian fellowship. Let Franciscan University lead you on a pilgrimage of faith. Find out more at franciscan.edu slash pilgrimages. Thank you for watching Franciscan University Presents. Uh, this entire program springs forth from the heart of Franciscan University. The show is taped here in the studio in our communication arts department. Um, our students are operating the cameras and the equipment. Um, our regular panelists are our theology faculty here at the university. Uh, today we're talking about uh, God's plan for our happiness with Father Jonathan Morris, a priest, author, and, and good friend. And former student and of the university. And former student at the university. Um, so uh, we, we've been talking about this. Uh, what is the, the, the transition from self-help to God's help? How, how does that work in your program, sure. if you will? What I tried to do in this book, God Wants You Happy, is to show that self-help and God's help are not at odds. Mm -hmm. Okay, of course, all of it is God's help in the end. There's no self-help without, without God's su sustenance. Right of our of our being and also um, his his proddings right through the Holy Spirit of of, of being better people, um, but we can be perfect and not be happy. Mm. We can be perfect and not be saved, right? So we could do perfectly well the the self help. You know, I am always honest. I am always on time at my job. I am always a good husband. I am always and not come to the happiness that God mm. wants for us. And so what I try to do in this book is show that, yes, getting nature in order, getting the, those natural God-given mechanisms that we, ha we have of memory, of willpower, right, and of reason, when we get those things in order, it's just preparing the ground for God to come in and intervene and whack us over the head and give us the blessings that he wants, us, wants to give us. And that's usually come, comes through and come, coming to a personal relationship yeah. with God. Yeah, so, and, and I, so is it simply we can't do it on our own, on our own efforts, we can't earn that? Uh, we certainly can't earn salvation. But, but our, when our, our efforts are harnessed to His grace, there's no end of achievement. Uh, I, I like the interplay that you have in your book between nature and grace, between yeah. self-help and God's help. Uh, there's a, a, a symbiosis, a wonderful partnership. Uh, we, we think we're doing it all, but in fact, uh, He's allowing us to do it all. Uh, and without Him, we couldn't do anything. It reminds me, um, Regis of, I just said it, yes, Regis. Yes, the saint, <laughs> there we go, breakthrough. <laughs> break I have a memory here that I'm trying to be healed, you know. That, um, 
I remember something that Father Michael Scanlon um, told me when I was thinking, I was here at Franciscan, thinking about being a priest and trying to decide whether I should go to this order or that order, to go to a diocese. And he said to me, just walk through the next door. If it's not the right one for you, shut it behind you and go yeah. to, to the next one. Yeah. And um, he also said something very interesting about finding a spiritual director. He said, um, you know, the best spiritual director um, is not necessarily the holiest man, yeah. but it's a holy man who's also prudent. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I thought to myself, well, what are, if you're holy, you should, that should be enough. And he, and he said to me, no, that's not right. There's the natural virtue of prudence, yeah. which allows us to select the best means to attain a good end, yeah. right? And then you also have holiness. And, and it's a different track. And so there you have the, the interplay of the self-help, in other words, getting our reason in line with being able to select the right means to a good end. Yep. But then you also have God's work in our soul, try, bringing us to holiness. Right. And so there, I think, it's an example of you have the natural and the supernatural going on sure. at the same time. Yep. When, when you can have a, a, a perfect marriage between the two, then we have exceptional leaders and, exception, and exceptional um, guides for us. But, right. but like you said, you, you, know, you, have, you have the two things and they're, and they're not always the same. Right. Well, see, the analogy of being, there is a similarity, a, a correspondence between nature and grace, and yet at the center, we're struck by the radical difference, the mm. discontinuity. I mean, prudence is completed by, by faith. Sure. justice by charity and fortitude and temperance by hope. But there's a sense in which faith, hope, and charity are a complete leap right off the page of, uh, of the cosmos. But the cosmos is good. Nature and reason are good. God endowed us with reason. We're not supposed to check our reason in the cloakroom when we go into the church. That's right. He wants, God wants to consecrate everything. And that's why I think um, we don't have to worry sometimes about getting every single decision right, we do our best. I mean, Father Michael Scanlon suggested that I go, and I ended up joining a, a religious order, yeah. the Legionaries of Christ, whose founder turned out to be a big fraud. Okay, yeah. and that caused a lot of pain and suffering in my own life since I've moved on to the Archdiocese of New York. Yeah. But you look back and say, well, hey, he told me to walk through that door. Yeah. I thought I was doing the right thing. Yeah. And all along, God was there by my side, I know, sure. using the advice of different wonderful, wonderfully holy and wise people like Father Michael Scanlon, but then also allowing things to take their course yeah. in, in, that included the abuse of, of, of that, of that uh, will or that reason, in this case of the founder of the order. And yet God was there. He's bringing me to the place where I'm at now. And you said yeah, you closed that door and moved on to the next right. door exactly. and, and <laughs> discovering and God's will in the, the process. Plan, yeah. yeah, God so, writing straight away crooked lines. That's right. yeah. But they, not only are they crooked, but they're difficult because yeah. you go through it and you can't, you can't help but wonder, God, why would you have done this? I would never allow my children to go through this and yet I don't love them more than you love me, I don't think. You know, I, right. I, I can't help but feel that, that God doesn't resent those prayers. <laughs> you know, I, right. I think He welcomes them much more right. than we would ever dare allow ourselves to believe. Yeah. And so how is that kind of suffering part of His plan for our happiness? Does that fit? Is that part of it or is that really <laughs> antithetical to His plan? Hey, I think everything God allows is an opportunity, Sure. right? So whether it's suffering or whether it's great joy, I'm going to today, later today, I'm going to spend time with my mother and father and doing a, a family wedding. That's going to be 
filled with joy. That is just as much an opportunity to unite myself with God as is suffering. And if we just look at, hey, no matter what comes my way, um, it's easier to say, you know, now sitting in this chair, but later on today, might be some difficult thing might happen. And, but the truth is, no matter what God allows to happen, we can say, this is my opportunity to become more united with God. Right. And you, ta you talk in the book about being a junior partner uh, of, of the Holy Spirit. Mm. You know, what, what does that mean and how does that fit in this plan uh, for, for happiness? Well, strangely enough, our experience is that even though God has a wonderful plan for us, He really does allow us to mess it up, <laughs> right? But He also allows us to get it right. And so we are what we could call junior partners of the Holy Spirit in carrying out God's plan for our lives and also salvation history. But I say junior partner because just as in business, right. um, I don't have to get all these, this theology right because here at Franciscan <laughs> University I was a business major, you know, so I feel <laughs> so more comfortable here. Know, yeah. <laughs> but in a, in a business analogy, the junior partner is certainly a partner, but in the end, it's the senior partner who makes, you know, who calls the shots. Right? And is able, even able to fix the things that the junior partner does wrong because he yeah. has, and in, it's not a perfect analogy, but God is a senior partner. No, and, right. and in the end, we can do everything right, we can do everything wrong, and God can still make it right through yeah. um, inviting us to a deeper act yeah, it, of faith. It illustrates a, an attribute of God, which to me is the most astonishing of all, his patience, that he suffers yeah. us to stumble and fall. He puts up with us. The, the fact that he spent 30 years doing nothing, the anonymity of those hidden years in Nazareth, and, 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 and there's not even three years of, 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 of glory, this, this, you know, this blaze of glory on, on which he goes out. No, uh, for, for the most part, nothing really happens. And, and he takes his time. He forbears. He suffers. Three hours on the cross. I mean, why did it take so long? Why did he wait so long? Mm. I mean, this is a tribute to God's patience. And there's a lesson here for us. Yeah. You know, what, what is supreme in God is clearly not mere power, you know, or just sheer knowledge. Mm. It's a... It's a love that is immense beyond power. And it's an immensity that isn't afraid to look little. You know, it isn't a, it's, a, it's a power that isn't afraid to look weak. And he possesses everything and yet divests himself of everything too. And then he has the nerve to turn around and ask us to do the same thing. You know, yeah, yeah. the opposite of happiness, I think in some ways is instructive because it's the misery of the demons. And, and what do these fallen spirits want? Well, you know, if demonic possession is any indication, it's to possess things mm. and persons. Mm. And in the process, they just enter, enter into that downward spiral. And yet when you look at the path of happiness, what is it? It's the cross. It's dispossession. Yes, you have to have self-possession. In order to give yourself, you have to master yourself. But self-mastery is always a means to an end. And, 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 the, and the path that God has us take and the, and the the straight line with the crooked, you know, the, or what I experience in terms of a series of upward falls. I'm always falling and he's always picking me higher up, you know. I, I just think what we recognize then is in the end, not only are we going to die, but we're going to be given the opportunity in the hour of death to make our life a gift mm. yeah. like Jesus did. Yeah. And if everything along the way is preparation for that, 
then that patient, persistent passion suddenly makes eternal mm. sense. Yeah. No, and I, the, and, oh, go ahead, Mike. Yeah. Do, do just thinking about the, the participation that he allows us. I mean, I, I think that's one of the most amazing gifts that we have on this earth is that we get to participate in what he did. Yeah. You know, it's the it's gift that he It's not competitive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He gives it really, and, and, and just the recognition that he wants us to be that junior partner. He wants us. It's not, we're, we're not, we're not somehow possessed entirely and have no will, therefore. We are, we are actually supposed to engage and participate with the Holy Spirit in our lives, that He would actually give us an opportunity to share in, in His great work. I mean, yeah. that to me is amazing. And, and trying to get that right of like, what is our participation, I think, is you know, the practical side of it that's sometimes tough. Yeah. Because I think all of us are tempted, at least, to think that um, I need to be, um, if I'm really doing the right thing, then I am being successful. Mm-hmm. In, in, in some way, you know, and that I am doing something big for God. Right. And God doesn't need us to do big things for, for Him. I think mm-hmm. He wants us to, to do that because He wants us to use all of the gifts He's given to us. But I, I, I look at now, right now in, in the work that I'm doing in, in media, it could look in, at some level as, oh, that's, that's the most important thing because it's having high impact. Whereas God certainly doesn't see it like that. And yeah. I, I, I know I'll be a big failure yeah. if I seek to participate yeah. in God's plan by doing something that I want because it's something I want. I, right. I think, right. Yeah, right. What, what God really wants is us to give Him permission to do something fantastic mm. oh, I like in our lives. I mean, we, we don't want to reduce Christianity to a kind of self-help enterprise. Moralism is what I accomplish. No, no it isn't. It's what God has already accomplished, the primacy of grace. And there is a kind of irony in your description of happiness because at the end of the day, it's not really anything we can procure on our own. It's a gift. It's gratuitous. I mean, C.S. Lewis in that wonderful book, his autobiography, speaks of, of being surprised by joy. I mean, happiness and pleasure, he says, are things which quite frequently we can obtain on our own, under our own steam. Mm. But joy is always a surprise. It comes, it comes, you know, it comes out of uh, the ozone. It's not something you can program or predict or manipulate uh, or guarantee. It's always a gift, and you're surprised by it, mm. ambushed. Yeah, yeah. Well, and just recognizing that that part of our happiness is doing exactly what God has for us, to, having that prudence, the, the grace building on our nature, because you were given gifts and talents, and, and happily, uh, you know, a news channel has recognized that you can have a voice uh, out in the media. And it is, it is, I'll have to say, it is to our benefit, the church's benefit, that you are stepping up and that Scott and Regis, you are taking on those roles. And I think that's part of your fulfillment. You were made for certain things mm-hmm. like that. And yet you're also reminding us that no matter how how big our gifts or bigger tasks are. The biggest task, you know, it's like God's littleness. You know, when He divests Himself of wealth and enters into our poverty, then we discover real wealth is love. And when He asks us to do big works, and then He does an invisible work within us where He plants joy Mm. or charity, then we realize the little way, you know, that we do little things with lots of love and it's ultimately of greater divine success than the big things we did on Fox or EWTN that's right. that's right. or whatever right. else, that's you know. That's so true. That's so true. We have been discussing God's path uh, for holiness um, with uh, our author and friend, uh, Father Jonathan Morris. Uh, in the final segment, we'll be giving some highlight points that you won't want to miss. So on Franciscan University Presents, stay with us.
Saint Irenaeus says, uh, the glory of God is man fully alive. And so if we really follow Christ, we can really become alive because he comes to give us that abundant life. Man only knows who he truly is uh, inside of Christ. And so um, when we look to Christ, we figure out who we are and how we're supposed to live and live that abundantly. My name is Kelly Butler and I'm a communication arts major. I took independent digital filmmaking. Definitely intense. Many all-nighters in the editing lab getting things done. Pope John Paul II has a quote, Do not be afraid to go out into the streets and into public places to preach Christ like the first apostles. That's what we're called to as Catholics and as Christians. You have that responsibility that every work you create should reflect Christ. Franciscan University is academically excellent and passionately Catholic. We've come to our final segment here on Franciscan University Presents, uh, discussing God's plan for our happiness with uh, author and priest, Father Jonathan Morris. Uh, to start off our, our summation and highlights, yeah. uh, Spregis, could you uh, start us? Sir? Yeah, well, welcome back, Father. You've hey, come a long you. way in a short while, uh, and you still have that boyish look about you, which is so endearing. I, I was really struck by uh, that advice that Father Michael had given you, uh, rather than urge you to become a Franciscan, mm -hmm. he, was, he was sufficiently detached, uh, dispossessed, uh, to think of you, uh, what might be best for you, remain open to God, and who knows, maybe some of the choices would, would turn out to be a cropper, uh, calamitous even, and yet God writing straight with crooked lines, what, what Moriach calls the utilization of sin by grace, uh, sets you on the right path, mm. and that, that's really uh, heartwarming, and what a testimony uh, to God's resilience. He's infinitely flexible. And the book is, is a wonderful book. Uh, I don't like self-help books. Uh -huh. uh, I remember years ago reading Walker Percy. That's not surprising to me <laughs> at all, lost, Dr. Mark. Lost in the Cosmos, <laughs> and he subtitled it, The Last Self-Help Book. Mm, that was 1983, right. and uh, now you've written one but uh, you acknowledge the limitations of, of the genre. Uh, Percy makes the point that of all the creatures uh, on the planet, man is the most alien of all. I mean, here is a guy who, who knows more about the cosmos and yet less about himself. Mm. He's a stranger uh, to himself. Uh, and, and that's why we probably have uh, a, a uh, just a, a, a cornucopia of self-help literature. And much of it, I, I think, is, is tripe. But yours is a blessed exception because mm. you see that there's a limit. Uh, we can push only so far and then God mercifully steps in and takes uh, our awkwardness and turns it to, to glory. Mm. Thank, mm. You. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Scott? As the one who holds the Father Michael Scanlon chair here, <laughs> I like to quote him also uh, many times, many statements, but one that stands out is uh, when I first met him, just as, a, as an aside, he said, you know, God opposes the proud. And I nodded and he added, even when they're right. Mm. <laughs> it was like, wow. You know, even when they're orthodox and conservative, he has to, out of love, oppose the proud because the truth that we hold is the truth of mercy. And so the truths of theology really add up to the most astounding form of therapy there is. 
It's the only thing that gives us the only goal for which we were created. It's the only thing that gives us the grace so that we can not only get there, but we can get back up over and over again. And in the process, grow in humility and see what Mariak is talking about, what St. Paul says, you know, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, which is no excuse for sinning all the more, but it is a reason for giving thanks. And as I, as I sat through all of the segments and as we came to this conclusion, I just thought, you know, what more logical response is there to God for all of these hardships than gratitude, mm -hmm. giving him thanks yeah. and praise, you know, that out of the, the greatest sin, the crucifixion, he brought the greatest good, the world's redemption. And if he can do that from the greatest failure, then he can use my minor failures and even the medium size in, in, in great and wondrous ways. And I've, I've stood back enough times to watch him do that in my past, but your, your book and your, your wisdom kind of gets me excited about seeing more failures in the future, yeah. and for which I am very, very grateful. It's like an anti-blessing, anti you're yeah. Wishing, yeah. wishing more failures in the future. Well, I'm wishing more blessings, but I've learned the only way to get them <laughs> seems to be, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Father, if you could close this out with some sure. of your highlights. You know, I'm thinking people watching now are saying, as we all should say, so what do I do now, mm -hmm. right? And John the Baptist was such a powerful figure in, in the New Testament because he didn't have all the answers, but he knew that there was natural law written on our soul, and he just cried out and said, basically, do what you know you should do, right? If you're a tax collector and you're stealing money, give it back. You know, if you're such and such, do this, right? There's a part of it that we know what we need to do, right? But then there's another part of, well, I'm not sure what more. You know, I've got some of this stuff pretty much in mind, what more? Um, you mentioned I'm working with Cardinal Dolan um, now in communications in the Archdiocese of New York. Let me tell you what he does. Let me tell you a story that I told last night when I gave a talk to the students here at Franciscan. I was going through this tough time of deciding what I should do going from the religious order to, to diocesan life. I was with him in Milwaukee, and it was Sunday morning, the Sunday morning that he was flying to New York City to become the Archbishop of New York. Imagine what that would be for your psyche and your psychology. You know, he was, someone had sent him a, a private plane so he could get in before the media. It was Sunday morning, I had a flight at 6 a.m. also coming to New York. In order for his lay assistant not to have to wake up in the morning early to take me, he got up, not only to drive me to the airport, and the morning he was becoming the Archbishop <laughs> of New York, but he made me a huge breakfast of pancakes and eggs and sausages at 3.30 in the morning, drove me to the airport at 4 o'clock a.m., probably the last time he ever drove, <laughs> brought me to the airport. He did that because his lay assistant wouldn't have to, in that way, get up that early, and he wouldn't have to be away from his family. If we want to know what should I do next, we go back and we listen to the, to the cry of John, ba John the Baptist, make straight the path, get sin out of our lives. But secondly, if we want to know, I think the greatest way is look around us. Who is it that God is calling me to love and to serve? Hmm. In that case, it was Cardinal Dolan doing this unbelievably humble act of kindness to me. That blessed me deeply. But I know that there are people in my life right now that I am called to serve, whether it's people I'm working with in the media, whether it's someone I meet on the street, whether it's my mom who wants me to call her more often, and it comes down to our holiness revolving around a very few simple things. And if we go deep 
in prayer and faithfulness to our conscience, we can figure it out. And life becomes pretty simple. And that is a path towards happiness and great fulfillment. Wow, wow. that is great. Father Jonathan, thank you for uh, being with us today, talking about uh, God wants us to be happy. Uh, for coming and being on campus with the students too. Uh, that was a, a joy for them, with the overflow cloud there. Um, if you've enjoyed the subject today, God Wants You Happy, Father Jonathan Morris's great book. Uh, it's, it's a self-help book, but it is uh, truly giving both God's help and uh, you know, grace building on nature, uh, really looking at a deeper level of how we can truly be happy. Um, if you've enjoyed today's topic, um, you can go to faithandreason.com. Uh, today's handout is a, the introductory part, a kind of a good summation of some of the points from Father Jonathan's book. You can download that at faithandreason.com um, or just by calling us. Um, really, when we look at it, um, St. Irenaeus, uh, I believe, said, you know, uh, the glory of God is man fully alive. And uh, he wants to heal and strengthen our intellect, our will, and our memory. Uh, there's a powerful plan to unleash the true happiness that God wants for us. That doesn't mean suffering and misery will be devoid in our lives, but that our lives will be different. They'll be changed. Uh, there's a, there's a, uh, a secular author, a non-Christian that I love. He, he says that um, moral, uh, it, there's a moral obligation to be happy for those around us. So we need to think of that. What are we doing? Are we truly the aroma of Christ in our, our homes, in our families, in our communities? Um, you know, we need to be happy. Um, Franciscan University's mission is to transform the world through the people who we educate. And we want to invite you to be a part of that mission, uh, possibly by getting your degree here or uh, through distance learning coming to one of our summer conferences uh, or joining us on a pilgrimage to one of the holy shrines. Uh, but stay involved with us on faithandreason.com. There's videos from Scott and Regis and uh, more from Father Jonathan. Uh, you can grow and be inspired in your faith. Franciscan University, uh, University Presents is a, an outreach of Franciscan University. And until we meet next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Uh, Father Jonathan, could you close us uh, with a blessing? Most definitely. We'll do it in a very simple way. May Almighty God bless you who are watching us right now. Be filled with His grace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. To download the free handout on today's topic, go to faithandreason.com. Email your request for the handout to presents at franciscan.edu. At faithandreason.com, you can also purchase past episodes of Franciscan University Presents or request today's free handout and purchase past programs by calling 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381 or call 740 Two eight three six three five seven.